Untold Hour. It's another Bowser solo episode, but do not press stop because I'm not going to go on a rant about film festivals or my career. What I am going to do is go on a rant about Hubie Halloween. And that was the week the Untold Hour lost every single listener. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I am going to talk about Hubie Halloween because I watched it twice, but I'm also going to get into some weird news. And then I'm going to have an interview with a restorative arts specialist, a woman named Heather, who does restorative makeup on deceased persons so that they can have open casket funerals. So it's a really interesting, specific, unique interview, and I'm really excited to share it with you all. Uh, As you could surmise, Jessica is out for uh, another couple of weeks, but I'm here and I'm going to take care of you all. And you know who else is going to take care of y'all? Hubie. My man Hubie. Now look, I've been talking about Hubie Halloween for weeks as a joke. Because it looked like the kind of bad Adam Sandler movie that was a parody of bad Adam Sandler movies. And you know what? It is that. But it's really hard not to enjoy something that has such rich Halloween atmosphere. So would I recommend you sit down and watch Hubie Halloween? Maybe if you want to see something that's shot in Salem, that feels like fall from a, from a Halloween movie of old. But if you want to watch a movie that makes sense or is funny or has any semblance of a plot that's coherent enough to follow with the human mind, then don't watch Hubie. But I got myself into a situation this week where I watched it twice. Now, you're asking yourself, what situation could make somebody have to watch Hubie Halloween twice. Um, Well, I did it for my day job. We thought it'd be funny if I popped into the the morning show that I produce with Hube Checks because we we did a bit when Scoob came out that was Bowser popping into the morning show with Scoob Checks as he watched it live on the show. So this time around, we popped in with Hube Checks. And everybody uh, at my job knows I'm a huge horror fan, huge Halloween fan, So I said yes to watching Hubie Halloween uh, Friday morning for the show, but had already agreed to watch it over Zoom with friends Friday night. So I did a double dose of Hubie, which always gives you a weird perspective on a movie. It makes you really think about every decision made. My first thought was, I'm excited to see an Adam Sandler comedy with a Halloween spin or a horror spin, right? I don't think I've seen that since... Little Nicky, you could argue murder mystery has a horror spin, but not really. Um, Also, I was interested in seeing an Adam Sandler movie that was maybe catered more towards kids because his kids are in the movie and he's hired a bunch of kids from Disney shows because his kids are obsessed with those actors to be in this movie. Obviously, uh, Noah Schnapp from uh, Stranger Things is in the movie. So I thought maybe I could stomach it because it was meant for a younger audience But the truth is, it is for the most part insufferable, which bums me out because there's a lot of fun to be had. 
Now, stop here if you don't want Hubie spoilers. Everyone listening is like, I don't give a fuck about Hubie spoilers, you idiot. Well, if you do, stop here, because here's what I'm going to spoil for you. Um, Much like uh, an episode of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, the threat that we think is looming, the supernatural threat, uh, is revealed to uh, be inconsequential or to be nothing at all. It's it's not a werewolf. Hubie thinks there's a werewolf in, in Salem kidnapping or taking or killing people on Halloween, and we think that werewolf is Steve Buscemi. Plot twist, it is revealed that Steve Buscemi is just a mentally imbalanced person who wears fake dog arms. Okay, so you nullify that red herring. Then we see a a, a patient from a a mental institution escape at the top of the film. We think maybe that character is behind the kidnappings and the disappearances. Nope, it turns out that guy is just uh, an imbalanced person who likes to urinate on people's stuff. Literally, the joke is that he pees on stuff. Surprise, that part is played by Rob Schneider. Um, So they nullify the red herrings, and then they reveal the real threat, which I won't spoil. You can watch the movie. But here's my main complaint about Hubie Halloween, okay? Why don't you take those red herrings and actually make them pay off in an interesting way? Maybe that uh, escaped patient was out to kill, but he wasn't out to kill the people that had been disappearing. He was on a, a tunnel vision mission to kill his sister that he didn't get to kill in the 70s, like Halloween. Then you can pay homage to that, parody that, satirize that, and Hubie has to mediate a conversation between the patient and the the, uh, sister he almost kills. There's even a cameo from Melissa Villasenor, who I thought would have been a good character to have as the Laurie Strode, and, and then have Hubie have to intervene. So Hubie thinks it's the mental patient behind the disappearances. But once he mediates that discussion between the sister and him, he realizes, okay, it wasn't him. Then he thinks Steve Buscemi is a werewolf. So he goes after him and he says, are you the one behind the disappearances? And Steve Buscemi says, no, but I am a werewolf. That's funnier that he is a werewolf, but he's just not the one behind the disappearances. Maybe he's a werewolf who has been, uh, who's trained himself to live off of impossible burgers, okay, instead of human flesh. But don't just nullify the red herrings to be uninteresting and throw them away and make the joke that they did not matter and were inconsequential. Still make them matter. Say that there's a werewolf in the town and there's a Michael Myers type in the town. And then Hubie is kind of this, um, you know, overseer of the monsters in Salem. And and little does he know, the final reveal of who's actually behind these disappearances is a blank, you know, vampire, witch, ghoul, vamp goo, uh, any any other monster, but just not what he expected at the top of the film. Uh, but instead, it's a joke about Rob Schneider pissing on stuff. That's my main complaint about Hubie's Hall- Hubie Halloween, other than the fact that it was not funny. We all know Adam Sandler knows what a good movie is these days, but I feel like with the Netflix films, they only have to get a script to uh, a certain point of looking kind of like a movie before they're allowed to go and make it. You know, there are these big overall deals for six pictures at once, and it felt like the kind of script that didn't have a single round of notes from anyone in a development department. It came across the desk at Netflix. They were like, this is one of the next round of Sandler movies. This one's for Halloween, so it'll probably do good. It'll be number one on our little system the week it comes out. Hubie Halloween, read it, okay? Fart joke, dick joke, vomit joke, got it. Schneider pisses on stuff. Push it through to production. 
And that's a bummer, because I think they could have made something really fun for horror comedy fans. And it just didn't hit the mark. That is my review of Hubie Halloween. You are officially out of spoiler territory. People are like, bro, I was never in spoiler territory because I don't care about Hubie Halloween spoilers. Well, spoiler alert, it's time for Weird of the Week. Woman mortified after Labrador finds sex toy during walk and won't let it go. This is the kind of headline I thought was a joke and that once I read the article, I would realize I was on a kind of uh, click hole type website. But I think this is real. A dog walker has shared her embarrassment after she spent 15 minutes chasing a pooch trying to retrieve a sex toy it had found. It's no secret that when dogs find a toy that they love, it can be pretty tricky to get it off of them. Unfortunately for one dog walker, the pooch they were taking care of took a liking to a rather embarrassing item. Hey, it's not embarrassing. Don't yuck anyone's yum. Clara Robson was out walking a Labrador named Charlie and thought he was playing with a stick. He looked like he was having a great time, so she decided to snap a photo to send to his owner. But upon closer inspection, she soon realized that the one-year-old pup had actually found a sex toy and was carrying it around in his mouth. As if that weren't enough, the 33-year-old then spent the next 15 minutes chasing Charlie around, attempting to retrieve the toy. Okay, that's embarrassing. She joked that it was especially hard to catch as it, quote, bounced everywhere. Clara desperately tried to get rid of the unwanted item, but before she could kick it out of reach, another dog decided to join in on the fun. Eventually, she managed to distract Charlie enough to hide the sex toy in a ditch. Well, we've all been there, having to hide sex toys in ditches. Phew! Clara later shared the photo of Charlie and his unusual find on social media, where it garnered a lot of attention with more than 2,000 likes. She said, He ran down a hill, and at the time, I didn't realize, but he came back up with it in his mouth. From a distance, it just looked like a stick, and the owner had just messaged me to see how he was. So I sent that picture. Then two minutes later, realized what it was. Oh, well, that's the embarrassing thing. Huh? That you sent a picture of the dog with the sex toy in his mouth to the owner. Straight away, I was like, oh my God, Charlie, put that down. Please put that down, which made him want to play with it even more. She added, he just thought it was a toy. Another dog was trying to take it off him, and every time he dropped it, I tried to kick it away, and he'd just chase after it. It was bouncing everywhere. Eventually, I managed to distract him enough to get him away from it. Charlie's such a character and has a lot of energy. The fact that he found it made it even funnier because it's just something he would do. It's Charlie all over. That had a really upbeat sitcom ending. It's Charlie all over. I don't think you'd call a sitcom that if it were about a dog that liked to play with sex toys. The next item on Weird of the Week is a segment that I think would be fun if there was a visual adjoining the segment. So that means you have to listen to this segment and then go to our Facebook group and see the visuals. Because what I'm going to do is talk about the most popular 2020 Halloween costumes that are popping this year. Now, is anyone going to have Halloween proper? Probably not. Um, we're all going to be indoors, hopefully. Hint, hint, hello. Let's all stay inside. I'm just as tempted as anyone to go out and at least ride my bike around to see trick-or-treaters and home haunts that are set up, but let's just play it safe. Let's stay in, watch The Great Pumpkin. You know, put a fun mask on, put put a ghost face mask on, but have a mask on, okay? Um, I'm going to talk about these costumes and give my <laughs> reviews of them. And I haven't looked at them yet because I saw the first two and I thought, you know what, let me respond to these real time. 
The first one is Sexy Plague Doctor. Okay. Horde no. Horde no. There was a time where Plague Doctor masks made you think sexy because they made you think about the masks that they wear in Eyes Wide Shut, you know? Fidelio. Um, that's not what you think of anymore. Now, when I think of the Plague Doctor, I think about the modern plague that we're all living through. It's not funny. Certainly ain't sexy. The model is making this outfit work. Sure. But I say hard no for Halloween. The next, the next costume is just straight up Joe Exotic. Um, you know, sure. I mean, sure. Joe Exotic, I, I can't even believe that that was also this year. I mean, was it really? My God. That feels like a decade ago that we were all talking about the Tiger King. Like it mattered. I mean, it does matter. There's a possible murder at the center of it. There's there's crime. It matters. But Joe Exotic as a costume, I think by the time October 31st hits, it's going to be a little passe. So that's going to be a no from me as well. All right? It's a pretty easy costume to put together yourself, by the way. You don't need to get a, an actual costume just because it comes with a specific pattern of striped uh, silk shirt and a little tiger stuffed animal. You can build that out yourself. Okay, the next one on this list is Leafy super wo- Superwoman costume. It Basically, it's like a sexy superhero with weed leaves all over it. Um, well, first of all, I don't know where we all stand on, you know, sexy costumes for Halloween. I think, obviously, they've been reductive and and it's they're objectifying in the past. But, but if you're choosing to wear it and you want to be the sexy super leaf superwoman, then that's all good. Uh, I'm not going to weigh in. I, as a man, I'm not going to. I'm not going to weigh in. I'm not going to put my male gaze on this. I'm going to say it's up to you. Wear it if you want. Uh, be sexy if you want. I'm not here to yuck anyone's yum. I vote yes if that's your shit on leafy superwoman costume. Also, on this article, they misspelled costume, and it says leafy superwoman costume. Come on, y'all know you phoned in this article. Uh when you misspelled the word costume on your article about costumes. Jesus Christ. All right, this next one is a hard no for me, and it actually is a bit of a rant, so I'm going to have to curtail it. But it's it's a costume you've all seen. It's like a blow-up Donald Trump that's groping a woman, and then you step into the woman part of the costume and run around. Not funny. I'm not, I mean, call me a snowflake. I'm, I, it's not funny to me. It's not funny what our president has done to women, to this country, to many people groups that he's dehumanized and uh, and uh, degraded and assaulted. So it's a hard no for me. Hey, real quick, I'm recording in my garage and my cat Puck just showed up at the door meowing. That's the cutest thing. I have to open the garage door and let him in. So stand by and just listen to me letting Puck in. Let's see if he comes inside. Hold on. This is a live Bowser's backyard. Do you understand that? It's happening live. Listen. Hey, Pucky. Come on, buddy. Come in. Oh, my gosh. My buddy is inside the garage. You're locked in now, buddy. Oh, my gosh. That's the cutest thing on the planet. For the rest of Weird of the Week, he's going to be meowing because he, he, he's still weirded out. I've turned my garage into a, an office and a little production space. But it's so new to Puck that it blows his mind when he discovers it. It's like he's gone through the wardrobe and he's in Narnia. Uh, so it's super cute, but he's going to be loud. I'm warning you now. Um, okay, so I'm over jokes about Donald Trump. I'm over SNL making jokes about Donald Trump. It's not funny anymore. 
I just want to vote him out. I want the day to come and I want him to be gone. I don't want any more jokes. And I know, you know, it's snowflakey of me to say, uh, like, let's not make jokes. The joke when people say, well, the jokes are part of how we cope with this monstrosity. I don't know how I feel about that because we all thought the fly was funny on the Mike Pence head, but at the same time, I don't need the Twitter currency of, of that moment. I don't need everything to be turned into a bit or a gif or something shareable to make you laugh. I'm done laughing about it. I, and I know I'm a fucking idiot that makes, you know, TikToks with my goth character dancing to Tim Burton music. And I'm now saying I'm over certain jokes, but I'm over jokes about Donald Trump. I just want the guy gone. Nothing is making me laugh anymore. Not Alec Baldwin's impression of him. Nothing around that man and what he's done to this country is making me laugh in the slightest. So no on the Donald Trump costume. Now this next one is a hard yes. There's a costume you can get that turns you into a cat and turns your cat into a human. And it's called role reversal and it's terrifying looking, but you can hold your little human-faced cat while wearing a cat head around your human face. I mean, come on. Strap that on and have yourself a nice, nice, safe interior Halloween celebration. Skipping the next one because it's political. Okay, this isn't, this is a, wow, this is a classic moon man. It's an astronaut's uniform that has a fake butt cut out of the back. Like you're mooning people. That gets a yes because it's tried and true. Tried and true. It's funny. Moon man, butts out, astronaut. Yes, that's going to the top. Oh my gosh, let's see how many more of these there are. Wow, some of these are really bad. You know what? Giraffe jumpsuit is one. I'm going to say no to the jumpsuit thing. Like the people that just wear animal pajama jumpsuits as costumes. I don't think that counts as a Halloween costume. All right? Color me crazy, but I don't think wearing the kigurumis or whatever and, and the the jumpsuits that have animal heads at the top that are kind of hoods you can pull down. I don't think that counts as a Halloween costume. No. Out. Done. All right. That might be that might be enough. Let me see if there's any others worth mentioning. Yeah. I'll mention this last one because uh, it, it, I, I don't usually like those morph suits, those body morph suits. And this is going to sound contradictory because I just said the animal jumpsuits are lazy. But there is a morph suit. Oh, wait, never mind. I just saw that it actually is filthy. Uh-oh, I've already endorsed it. Shit, can't back out now. I was going to endorse this infrared man morph suit where it looks like the predator is looking at you because I thought that's what it was referencing. I thought it was like, look like a, a predator movie victim. And it's it, it makes it look like all your vitals are being read by his heat vision. But the joke of the suit is that there's a big, red-hot, erect penis in the middle of the suit. So... No, Infrared Man. No. Maybe if you were a direct reference to the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Predator, I'd say yes, but you're getting a hard no from me, and there is no pun intended. All right, thanks for uh, sticking with me through that segment. Again, check check our Facebook group to see these costumes so that that segment kind of comes to life more than, more than just listening to my voice. Now we're going to get into our interview with Heather, and I, I want to preface this by saying Heather went to mortuary school. She is a restorative makeup artist who does work on the deceased before funerals. 
she works uh, at a at a at the school that she learned from as a teacher, and she has a crematory certification. So she operates a crematorium or cremator. So we're going to get a little graphic, but I think we get it. Uh, we get into it in a respectful manner and in a way that isn't too hard to stomach, even if you have uh, a hard time hearing about death and bodies and, and the deceased. But I found the conversation to be really enlightening to talk to someone who's on the inside of that profession and deals with death in a very pragmatic and direct way. So I'd encourage you to give it a listen if you're on the on the uh, verge or on the precipice of deciding between giving it a go or not. But if you know you have a hard time with this subject and don't want to hear about embalming and don't want to hear about the... Uh, the more the nuances of uh, that industry, then I'd say I'd say skip it. Okay, just know that going in. That was my little warning. Uh, now enjoy my conversation with Heather. Well, I'm very excited to be joined today by Heather Taylor, a special effects makeup artist and restorative arts specialist. Is that correct? There's a lot of special arts <laughs> descriptors in there, but I think I got it right. It is. You did. Thank you for having me. So I think people know what a special effects makeup artist is. I mean, you went you went to a Creature Effects School? Did you go to the Savini School? Is that right? So I did. I went to the Tom Savini Special Makeup Effects and Prosthetic Appliance School. I have a million questions about that, <laughs> but just to further explain uh, the definition I gave you at the top, what is a restorative arts specialist then? All right. So you're taking special effects, um, which is all for film, um, and putting it into real life scenarios with the deceased. So Say I could create a nose and sculpt one while a decedent may also need a nose. Right. So, right. <laughs> so now the education for that, does the education from the Savini school kind of lead into that field or are those two completely different? You know, how do you like how do you get certified in the restorative arts? Does your special effects makeup uh, certification count toward that? Or were they two different paths of education? Two separate. Okay. So the funeral director is also the mortician and is also the makeup artist. So we're a multi-trick kind of um, license. Uh, yeah. we, we learn to embalm. We, we do the makeup. We do the sculpting. We do the arrangements. Um, and... With mortuary school, we are taught with airbrushes and we're taught with sutures. Um, it's different from special effects school because we do learn those things and the layering of different skin complexions, which worked out because I got to be taught it twice. Um, right. Yeah. So. Which 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 came first for you? Let's just go to the beginning. What began an interest in your life in general? in the area of makeup and special effects makeup and and which one came first special effects makeup interest or the restorative arts so i worked at a haunted house for eight years okay um, kennywood's fright nights in pittsburgh <laughs> nice kennywood's is that what yes. it's called mm -hmm. kennywood's nice yeah and um 
I was building props and doing makeup there. I eventually went to school for it. Um, and as a hobby, as a special effects artist, um, especially when you're in Pittsburgh and it was before kind of the boom of movie creation here, um, at least consistently, I thought, what could I do with something that I'm very passionate about, um, and make it more of a full-time thing. So now I'm creating things so families can have open caskets. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, it's still very rewarding. And then I get to have special effects as a hobby on the side. Yeah. And did so you worked at a haunt. Were you a, a horror fan previously? I mean, did you grow up loving horror films? I think I assume everybody in the Pittsburgh area, you know, grew up on Romero movies and and all of that and seeing horror films from a young age. Was that what it was like for you? Right. So actually, um, George's son, Drew, went to high school next to mine. So we were friends. Oh, um, nice. It was it was very cool because one day I got to go to his tattoo shop and meet him, uh, his father. Oh, so I never I never formally met Romero, but I, I saw I saw him at a distance at a horror convention, and I was oh. filming for a company, so I got some good B roll of him. Right, I'm sure it's still but very magical. <laughs> it was magical. It was magical. And so, uh, so were you a horror movie fan? Are you still a yes. horror movie fan? You kind of um, was that always your bag. I also, in high school, volunteered at a public library, and I was a little bit sneaky, um, and I hate to admit this because I feel bad for everyone else that was waiting for the movies, <laughs> <laughs> but I would put my name to the top of the list, uh, and I had this gigantic list of zombie movies because my thing at the time was zombies. Yeah. I was like, I have to see them all, um, so I would just have constant films coming into me at once, and yeah. <laughs> um, RSVP'd because I put myself there. You're right. People would be people <laughs> would be sorry. waiting on, yeah. People would be waiting on a copy of Day of the Dead, and it was just going out to you every time it came back in. It went right back out to you. That's Basically. fantastic. So tell me a little bit about uh, the restorative arts and going to mortuary school. That's what it's called, right? Right. Um, are my first question, and I, I was going to apologize if it, if it sounds uh, garish, but I guess it's not. In, in your line of work, it's just a pragmatic question. Uh, are most of the instances where restorative arts are needed because of an injury, you know, gunshot wound, or is there also just, um, I don't know, how do I say it? Like, are there illnesses and diseases that can deplete the, the form that then require restorative arts? Or is it almost always a, an injury of some kind? Uh, sometimes, actually, with time and age, you get what is called uh, desquamation. So it's kind of like skin slip. Um, huh. Right. So there's just, throughout the embalming process, things that may happen and or chemically with the way this person had died that may require um, extra makeup help. And oh, even even down to hands, because when laying in a casket, they they need cosmetized um, to bring some, it's the first thing people go to touch is kind of like the hands. Wow. I didn't even think about that. I guess I didn't even think about it being, um, a, a matter of wanting to touch the, the deceased. That makes sense. Right. Um, and so, so, so it can be because of something that occurred after death then what is what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Were you always comfortable around 
the subject of of death or did that that take some getting used to do you remember the first time you were presented with a a dead body or is there a more medically correct i hate to say corpse but you said something off uh, just deceased and you said decedent is that a word yes not a word i've ever used but that's a good word (laughs) right um were you always comfortable with that environment that takes some getting used to um so as a special effects artist i was already kind of studying the dead and the textures of the dead, so to like speak, for ref- like as reference photos and things right. like that to um, emulate. Okay. At the at the Savini School, we had a cl- an anatomy class, um, and we we even saw videos about the body farm and decomposition, mm-hmm. and those are all things that come up in the special effects field. So yeah. for me, I was moderately comfortable. I mean, I feel like any special effects artist is moderately comfortable until you're actually presented with a dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to stand in and see some, but I wouldn't say I was as prepared as somebody that would have grown up in a funeral home sure. and been around it their whole lives. But, yeah. Yeah. And I imagine there's different, uh, there's different stages to getting used to it. I mean, I, how was, uh, I'm 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 going to ask a lot of dumb questions because I'm not even sure on like the process that a body goes through. When when do, would embalming occur? Does that occur at the funeral home? And does that fall under something that you have to handle? It depends on the body. Um, okay. And if the body was claimed, so the body may be sitting at the medical examiner's office for a little while, but most cases the morgue itself is inside of the funeral home um often downstairs as most horror movies depict (laughs) right that's one thing they got right the morgue is in the basement almost always yeah yeah well so do you remember the first time you were present for or do you have you have you performed an embalming i've embalmed about 60 cases myself okay is that i uh was watching a um a film recently and it wasn't the most campy of horror films so i want to assume some of the procedures represented were accurate but not to downplay but in this film they they made embalming look almost simple or i guess more simple than i expected is is that true or is there just kind of one embalming machine that you 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 know plug into a person or is it a lot more detailed than that um i'm sure it can't be as simple as my dumb take on it but i imagine you're watching reanimator (laughs) No, it wasn't Reanimator. I take everything in Reanimator with a grain of salt. No, it was something that that was a little more grounded, and I can't remember the film. Um, but yeah, yeah, there was just this kind of box that was the the uh, embalming machine, right. and I'm sure I'm very wrong. Um, some of them actually do look like a box. The the newer okay. ones, they're they're um, pretty easy to clean out, actually. But yeah, it's just an exchange of fluids. Um, Does it enter in one place or many places on the body? Um, depending on the body. Okay. So if the drainage isn't well, um, or if you can't get any flow, you'll have to go into femorals and yeah, you got your arms and mm-hmm. you're kind of right. You really want to preserve the body, basically. And 
uh, as I'm asking these questions, I'm, I'm telling uh, myself that's going to record the intro to this later to give <laughs> a warning before the interview, um, because I have a lot of interest in all of this. And I have a relative that works in, um, well, she works in forensics, but she's been to crime scenes and she's had to be on call for uh, for doing crime scene as part of her job. And uh, she's cut from a different cloth than me. She can handle a lot more of the kind of real world side to the horror films that I watch than I can. But you, you're, you basically you have to drain the fluids from different parts of the body, so you have to enter into different parts of the body. That's what you're saying. You're, you're. Are you? What are you extracting exactly? Just all fluid? So mostly blood. Um, we okay. go in to aspirate later and try and get most of the fluids around the organs. But a dream scenario with embalming would be to raise the jugular and then you have good, good drainage and you could fill them with formaldehyde and close everything up and call it a day. But that doesn't actually always happen. There's complications. Mm -hmm. And then depending on weight, it could be hours. But mm. a good embalming could be about 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. And are there instances where the, to talk about the restorative art side of it, are there instances where, um, I don't know, the family has, has talked to you personally and, and thanked you for what you've been able to do for their loved one? Or, or do you not really interact with the family much? It depends. Sometimes the family um, has only met the funeral director that has made the arrangements and mm -hmm. they'll pass along the thanks. But sometimes we get requests and I've had some interesting requests and they've let me know so-and-so is thankful or um, mm -hmm. someone actually once asked if they could have a cigar in their loved one's mouth closed. Oh, interesting. With the yeah. cigar, which I thought was really cool and I was really excited to help do because this guy, he was known to have it there, like a cigar in his mouth at all times. So mm -hmm. they wanted Tim to go into his grave with one. So hmm. we lit it and we blew, we blew it out so it could kind of have like the burn effect on it. Yeah. They loved it. They were very, they were very, very thankful. Oh, wow. I, I yeah. never thought about that. I never thought about a, a specific request. Are there any other odd requests that you've received from, from family members? I would say just things going into the casket um, to be Oh, like objects with. and objects personal items? Always a big range. Um, somebody may be requesting to be buried with three baby carrots, and you're wondering why really? three baby carrots, but you hear all kinds they, of different stories. They don't explain it. They'll, they'll just say, this is what I want, and, and then it's right. up to... Yeah. And unless they want to explain it, I wouldn't ask personally. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's, it's all very tiptoey. Yeah, for sure. You don't want to press, uh, you know, about the the resonance that an item might have. It's, I'm sure, very personal. Right. Uh, what a, going into this line of work, I'm sure the answer is yes, and then there's numerous examples. But what's something that surprised you about this line of work? Maybe something you thought you'd have a problem with that you wound up not having an issue with and then maybe something that you thought you'd be able to handle just fine that you you had a bigger issue with 
Have there been any surprises in this line of work for you? Um, the death face. The death I, face. Yes, the death face. So my first embalming, I was not prepared for the death face. And what is that? In all horror movies, everyone is pictured dying kind of, I don't know, um, at least when you find their body, it's a completely closed, kind of peaceful resting. It is absolutely not like that. It is more of an yeah. eyes wide, the last breath you took in the last kind of thought that this person possibly had is painted on their face. Interesting. Right. <laughs> wow. So that's like um, a known term in the industry would be the death face that the corpse has or that the deceased has right i've i've used it myself i've heard some others use it i don't know if everyone is calling it the death face but for me yeah um it was shocking it was a little haunting even because that was yeah. the, the last expression they had that was kind of frozen there um and it's always different <laughs> yeah right and do uh, to possibly dispel another movie myth is it is it simply a movie myth that you can just, you know, brush somebody's eyelids and they close magically? I mean, can you turn the death face into something else before it's in the casket? Can it be manipulated? So you absolutely can manipulate the face after death. Um, and sometimes you can lightly brush them closed. And, hmm. but not always. Sometimes they kind of pop back up, but you go in and you do the finishing touches there at the end. So uh, what are, are there tools used to manipulate the face, or is it really just a matter of kind of pressing the face into a new expression? Or are there specific tools that you use? So that depends on the embalmer. Some embalmers use cotton. Some use eye caps to give that kind of dome eye appearance. Hmm. Sometimes it kind of loses the form. You get the kind of sunken look. But in general, um, the, the whole face can kind of be manipulated with, even tissue builders, and you can kind of restore that that fullness. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I imagine that you're given numerous photos of the person. Yes, to, absolutely. To replicate. How, how many do you average per person are you given photos? like? Usually a family member wants to give you as many as possible. Um, yeah. And then you get the the situation where they only have one photo. Um. So you just have to do your best and try oh, wow. and try and make them happy. Yeah. So another list of uh, of professions in our exchange, in our message exchange, prior to having you on, you said you're a crematory op operate. Is that what it is? Yes, I am a certified crematory operator. Operate. So so what does that mean? Now, <laughs> what is, explain that for me? So. This was another part of the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science program. You could choose not to, but of course you would want to be able to run the cremator. Um, yeah. And a lot of funeral homes have a crematory as a part of their establishment. However, some small towns kind of go to one cremation facility and mm -hmm. kind of send them back and forth there. But I would run the crematory or retort myself. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, I uh, I had a, gosh, it's, it's so hard to ask 
questions that aren't based on bad horror movies because <laughs> so many questions that come to mind the point of reference is something i don't want to reference because it'll feel like it's you know disrespecting the the topic uh, so I'm trying to find real world reasons to ask these questions instead of saying, so in that Joe Piscopo movie, Dead Heat, you know, there's no point of referencing that. Um, one thing that I didn't understand was that uh, so much happened at the funeral home. Right. I guess I thought a lot was uh, was at a, a city morgue. But is that only in the case of criminal deaths? Right. Like, um, or unclaimed, unclaimed or un, bodies. Or unclaimed? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they don't actually perform the embalmings. And if they are unclaimed, they are most likely being cremated. And then that turns into unclaimed ashes, which right. is a whole new <laughs> topic. Do you feel like working in the field that you work in has shifted your perspective on death at all has it uh, were did, are you the type of person that lives in fear of death and dying or were you always more accepting of that i find some people have peace around the notion and other people kind of have anxiety around the notion has it shifted your perspective since working in this field i actually think that it helped me work out my death anxiety and mm. fear of dying even um death in general and working with bodies when it comes down to it, it was just anatomy. Um, and it did help mm-hmm. me. It did help me feel more at peace, um, especially knowing, and it's not just this ominous cloud of I'm going to die. And then I'm definitely going to go to a funeral home. And then I have no idea what's going to happen to my body. Um, I understand the entire process now. So for right. me, it's kind of like I could picture myself being there and then I could picture myself in good hands. Right. Yeah. yeah, I find that I sometimes I find I know a lot of us have a morbid curiosity around true crime and maybe watching too much of that stuff can be unhealthy. But I find oftentimes what I like about watching true crime documentaries is that I get to see the working professionals that engage in this field uh, in a very pragmatic way. I mean, I watched something devastating on Netflix a few weeks ago that's, you know, about a horrible crime where somebody killed their wife and children but what was enlightening about the documentary was seeing the professionals that are there to catch that person put that person away get into their head you know give them the polygraph test and then it actually makes me feel better because these things don't just exist in this dark cavern of untouchable fear there's people that have to confront it and work through it um and even talking to my relative that works in forensics um the way she talks about the things she does for her job kind of makes me feel better. I'm like, right. You know, there's people that are attacking this stuff practically. And there's people that are there for you when, when you, your family has experienced a loss and there's people that aren't afraid of that subject. Whereas a lot of us kind of, you know, live in fear of it. Yeah. It's no longer Um, an ominous realm. Yeah. It's not this unknown thing. Right. It's actually very known to, to a certain field of people. Um, so with everything that we just discussed about the practical side to death, do you believe in much supernaturally? Do you, are you, uh, a person that believes in ghosts? Do you believe in hauntings in general or has the working in this field kind of made you strictly pragmatic when it comes to death and the afterlife? 
So I, I do like this question because I, I do believe um, in energies and I definitely can see some type of energy lingering around, but spirit wise, um, there's so many fairy tales that we all grew up with and like want to believe in that we, we kind of hope goes success. Um, mm-hmm. I personally, of course, I would think it was cool if a ghost was real, um, but funeral home wise, I, I personally have not experienced a haunting. And I don't think that as a mortician or a funeral director, you're going to have ghosts haunt um, unless something did not go well with the will there. But hmm. yeah. Yeah, I guess it feels like um, it may be. I guess, uh, assuming an awful lot to think just because there are many bodies that come through right. a facility like that, that, that doesn't mean there's unrest and, and they weren't necessarily, they weren't people that died there. That's not when their spirit left their body. So it's kind of a misconception to assume those places are kind of potent with, with paranormal activity. Have you ever felt like uh, a supernatural presence around a body or anything that just felt different than other times where it felt like somebody was was still there or there was some kind of energy still surrounding the body personally no um i would also just say that's anxiety and it would be all in my yeah. head and or things that i would want to believe but i myself would not haunt a funeral home or if i were to haunt anything i think that i would be haunting a place i grew up in that mm-hmm. i hope that i never have to go back to or an ex an ex-boyfriend or even yeah. a husband. Um, I would haunt yeah. a memory. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to linger around a funeral home when I have unfinished business to do. Right, right, right. right. That place is new and it's kind of like, what am I doing here? Whereas, <laughs> right. yeah, I'd go back. I'd haunt some bullies from elementary school. <laughs> I think I would, I mean, I'd have a lot of bullies to choose from elementary through high school, oh, but no. I think I would go elementary school. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. The rest of the podcast will just be me talking through that fantasy <laughs> of of how I would haunt my uh, my bullies from high school. I wonder if I could appear as a child, even though I did not pass as a child, just so they would know that it was me. Because they may not know what adult me looks like. And they'd be like, who's this random middle-aged dude haunting me? And I'd be like, it's Andy from elementary school. Yeah, um, shapeshift. Yeah, I could shapeshift. I'd like right. to think I could. Let me get, yeah, I'll get your, your, your professional opinion on shapeshifting. Um, well, I first came across you on TikTok. Tell me about TikTok and how you've kind of blended your professional interests into, into TikTok. I, I've recently joined, I joined when the pandemic kind of first, first (laughs) launched. Um, and I do a character on TikTok, but, uh, I've also just found it very rewarding and it's a nice spot to be creative and little in little bursts instead of overwhelming myself with I got to write a script or I got to finish this pilot or write a feature that's going to change my life uh I found TikTok to be a really fun way to just scratch that creative itch how did you come across it and and what exactly do you do on on TikTok um right so I actually myself got trapped during the pandemic Mm -hmm. I had it downloaded um I found myself endlessly scrolling and locked at yeah. home, I mean, I've spent hours on there. 
till eventually um, I was kind of only speaking in TikTok. <laughs> where <laughs> right. unless you had the app, you wouldn't really know have gotten half of the jokes or anything that I was saying. But yeah. I found myself saving sounds and then putting in little notes like, oh, this would be kind of funny if I did this kind of video. Mm-hmm. And then I, I made my first one. Um, and then I made a couple more as a joke. Um, and then I made a mortuary memories video and the video had like a million views. So I shared it to my Dean, um, who actually asked me to come back to the school to help the students that, um, sculpt and everything else. And he was like, this is awesome. You painted a picture in a matter of 15 seconds Mm -hmm. or less, um, that we couldn't have been able to do with all these little fun, like bursts of clips that you had on your phone. And I was like, well, I hate to admit that I had my phone out in school a lot more than I should have. So I have (laughs) plenty of clips. Um, I can make a couple more. So I think I have about four mortuary memories from my school and they loved it. So they were like, we would love for you to come in and actually during the class, take some videos of the students and some of their works and some of the things we do. Uh, we have these really cool busts there, which was actually made by special effects artist Will Ritter, and they're patented. Mm. So if you want to use them, you can only use them at the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science. And they're awesome. Uh, so I got a bunch of videos of me restoring them in, in QuickTime. And oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That is what that is what it can do. I mean, I, I sound like I, I work for TikTok when I talk about it to friends, but it really is. Am- I, I also spend a lot of time just watching videos on it before I started creating because it does, unlike many of the other apps, it takes kind of digesting the language of the app and learning it before you can figure out how you would speak in that in that language. And for me, people always said, oh, you should do your weird character on TikTok. And I was like, and do what? I don't know what he would do. But then you watch enough videos and you start to see, oh, I could do my spin on this trend. Or, you know, those those kind of day in the life videos are honestly pretty insightful. I mean, I follow like pilots and <laughs> and people that just live lives that I, I don't live and see what their day is like. And the same for, for your videos. They provide a lot of quick insight into someone else's life and then of course yes there's just jason derulo having fun in his mansion (laughs) yeah but but you know then but the one of the other ones i saw of you was dancing in a graveyard which was fantastic (laughs) (laughs) did people uh people responded well to that one right people really liked the fact that i was um kind of in the drive like the road of the cemetery totally not on any graves not sitting on the tombstones and there's I've had some friends make videos about like cemetery etiquette and what not yeah. to do in film in a video. And then sometimes I get the comments that are like, really a graveyard? And I'm like, well, you know what? Tell George Romero to take his movies down right oh. now if I can't film in a cemetery. Without a doubt. Right. No, I love that. <laughs> I love that video. I think it's fun. And the vibe I got from it was, you know, honestly, yeah, you, you aren't, I don't even see anybody else around. So you're not even... <laughs> distracting anyone but you're not on any specific gravestone and if anything and i don't even know that this was your intention but i hear people that that visit grave sites of loved ones all the time that it it is it can be a place of celebration it doesn't have to be this dour somber place sometimes it is uh, you know i have uh, actually friends who lost someone where they they pretty much have a party at their gravestone every year 
And the vibe I got from it was was more of a celebration of life and 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 finding levity in everything, not anything disrespectful. So I thought it was awesome. Thank you. Uh, they're yeah. they're so fun to make because that one actually, um, a company called Creepsville sent me some clothes. They were like, oh, awesome. oh, we would love for you to wear this. And I was like, I would love for me to wear this. I used to wear your clothes in high school. I, am I yeah. that cool now? Thanks. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So I'm making a, a joke video. I was like, the video I'm going to make for you guys for real, I'm going to post tomorrow at 1130 Eastern time. Well, that video blows up the joke one and gets almost like, I don't know, I think it has like 3.5 million views now. Yeah. Not sure. But, and then it just keeps on going and it's kind of like. It's all fun in games until you end up on the for you page. <laughs> right, right. Um, once it's there, it was like, oh, well, I'm glad it worked out for you guys, but I, I didn't mean for that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I, and there's, yeah, there's no controlling it. I mean, I, I, I spend time on a TikTok that I, I really hope gets views and it just bottoms out. And then <laughs> I just, I do, I did one, I did one Sunday, so when we're recording this, just to explain to our listeners, this was yesterday, I did a video that was my character rapping, because I thought it'd be funny, he always speaks very fast, and there's a pretty popular TikToker that does like half of a rap for you to fill in the other half, and I thought for months oh, it would be really funny for Onyx to rap half of a rap with that guy, and uh, and I did it on, you know, I sat down, I did it in eight minutes, I wrote out a couple lines that made me laugh. And then it got a million and point one one point two views in a day. One point two million views in like a day. I will admit, um, it came up on my for you page. So oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> our for great. you pages are looking pretty similar there. I um, think they are. I think they are. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other great thing about TikTok, now that the podcast is purely about promoting TikTok, is that <laughs> depending on who you follow, it really does cultivate uh the the subjects you'd want to see. Like I can scroll and actually just see the the type of content I, I am genuinely interested in, which right. is nice. And it is a lot of alt cosplay and horror stuff and, and alt comedy and yeah, really fun stuff. I guess. Um, oh, I go guess, ahead. Yeah, I could send some things on there uh, from my friends and I'm like, man, your for, your for you page is looking really different from mine. <laughs> totally. I have not seen I know. anything like this before. Sometimes I'll get, I, I follow a couple of like uh, dad TikToks and mom TikToks because they make me laugh because of how cringy they are. But I'll get those suggested. They'll be like, you must really like dad TikTok. And I'm like, well, no, not really. Uh, I kind of follow them as a joke. I need to be smarter about what I have my character. I need to get some free shit. My character only likes stuff that's old. He talks about uh, the crow and like, you know, 80s movies. There's no current uh, swag to send me. I got to find. <laughs> Somebody try to send you water bottles too? <laughs> no, I haven't gotten water bottles. I've gotten like, I've gotten weird offers to do branded stuff that, that isn't, it doesn't fit with my character. So I've had to pass. Uh, yeah, I need that. Uh, I need that, that, uh, that horror swag connection. I need to make a video of him where he's wearing like a Fright Rags t-shirt that goes viral. Maybe That's I can get awesome. some free Fright Rags because I love that company. <laughs> um, well, so just to wrap things up with you, I, what is your day-to-day -day like? Because we've talked about the restorative arts, but you've also mentioned that you teach that subject, mm -hmm. that there's embalming, that there's uh, you're a crematory operator. What is your Can your day-to-day -day involve all of those things in one day? 
or what does the bulk of your day-to-day work look like? Right now, the classes, because of the pandemic, are a little bit spaced out. So yeah. we're trying to cram in a lot of sculpting and makeup hours to make up for the fact that we can't have that many people in the building to begin with right now. So mm-hmm. I'll go in when the restorative art, arts classes are being held. Uh, but for me, day-to-day, and I'm going to have to make you a day-to-day, what do I do in a day, TikTok video. Exactly. That's exactly but what I want. The pressure of that app or in general, um, when I make one for my school, um, you actually have to keep posting day to day or you kind of lose virality. So Mm -hmm. no matter what I am doing each day, um, be it being at the building or being at home and trying to make up an idea that I can help post and promote, Mm -hmm. um, I still have to make one. (laughs) Yeah, right. You still have to get some content out. Right. Yeah, I know. I understand that. I understand that that pressure to keep keep making stuff. Um, well, it was so wonderful talking to you, and uh, I found it very insightful. Where can people find you on social media if they want to find your TikTok or Instagram? Let people know where they can find you. You can find me anywhere, actually, by searching Before the Coffin. So at Before the Coffin, you could check me out. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being here, Heather. Awesome. Well, that was a wonderful conversation. I loved talking to Heather. We're going to do, I don't know if we talked about this on air, but we're going to do some kind of collab on TikTok with Onyx and and her. So look for that, some kind of Halloween collab. And now me and Puck are going to sign off. Puck, let's do our NPR outro. This has been Andrew Bowser, and you've been listening to The Untold Hour. Bye. Untoldians, that is it for this episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bazaar. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to theuntoldhourpod at gmail.com. Come join the Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at The Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. A A podcast network.